Lord God, we praise you that you are a generous, loving God. We've sung of your goodness, of your love. We're going to celebrate communion when we think about uh, that amazing sacrifice on the cross for our sins, for our eternal salvation. We know we can't help give you. Send your Holy Spirit on us tonight, on me as I preach, on us as we listen. And even if the passage and some of the stories are familiar, we're in a new situation today. Our circumstances have changed. So speak to each one of us and give us the grace of giving, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 6 to verse 15. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. 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 Did I pray before I read the scriptures? I did. Do you think I did? I can't even remember. I'm, I'm getting elderly and it's been a hot sunny day. I did pray, did I? I was just thinking, yeah, there we are. I, I normally have the scripture and then I pray at the start of a sermon. So anyway, we're, we're praying for it all together. Now, I love preaching on giving because it is so good for us. If you want a title for this sermon, it's that giving is good for you. And it's one of those things which we can all do, and it's good for us, and God promises to bless as we give in all sorts of different ways. Uh, one of my favorite uh, illustrations is two Christians, Christian A here and Christian B here. Some of you will have had this on your Vicar Bingo for tonight already. <laughs> Christian A earns the same amount of money as Christian B. He does all his sums, and he works out that he's just about get through the month and he has nothing spare. So he just about gets through the month and he puts the odd pound or five pound in the plate, but that's it, doesn't really give. Uh, Christian B does his sums, works out that he just about has enough to get through the month, but he reads the scriptures that invites us to give to God and to trust him. So he gives uh, a biblical 10% of his giving to the Lord. And the Lord meets his needs in ways that are, are amazing. You can't quite work out how it happens. Now, Christian A thinks that Christian B is an idiot because he's giving when he's not sure how he's going to get through to the end of the month. Christian B 
thinks that Christian A is an idiot because he's not taking God's word seriously. He's missing out on so many miraculous stories. So my question to you tonight is, which sort of idiot do you want to be? Do you want to be like this one or do you want to be like this one? I've learned down the years that I'm this sort of idiot, that I don't quite know how the money's going to work out, but we trust giving to the Lord and there are stories, and I'll tell one or two of them this evening about that. But you'll have your own stories if you've been given. So why do we give? Ultimately, we give because God is the great giver and we are made in his image. That means we're made to be generous. Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave himself, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul has been talking about this in chapter 8, the chapter before the one I've just read. Uh, classically, in chapter 8, verse 9, he tells the Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake or for our sake he became poor, so that you, so we, through his poverty, might become rich. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus left the glory of heaven and gave it all for us so that we can be part of his amazing family. Right at the beginning of the Bible, we read how God creates the world, this beautiful Garden of Eden, it's good, it's very good, it's going to get better, um, but it's very good, it's not perfect, because it's, it's going to improve. And he puts Adam and Eve to steward it for him, he says you can enjoy all of this, just not that one thing over there. Uh, and the devil comes to say, did God say you can't enjoy any of this? No, of course he didn't. God said all of this world is for you to enjoy, use it, name it, farm it, look after it, care for it. Uh, be blessed by it. God gives us so much to enjoy in creation. And in this passage, 2 Corinthians 9, we've read today, there is so much about God's generous generosity to us. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, this is a really important verse for me. Um, this is the verse that my mum and dad put on the birth announcement for me when I was born. Uh, I'm not sure they wanted to put it exactly like this when I was a teenager. I didn't think they, they had different, different. Um, we met some, met some folks who uh, recently used to pray with my parents when I was a teenager. And uh, they said, oh, how we prayed for you. Well, I'm, I'm grateful to them. But this was a birth put out with my birth announcement. My name means God gives. And they said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, supremely, that is Jesus, of course. Uh, and Paul wasn't thinking about me, but my parents were. Uh, God is the great giver. Verse 8 of our passage. God is able to bless you abundantly, so in all things, at all times, having all you need, you'll abound in all good works. God wants to give to us. It's not that he wants to take. He doesn't need our stuff. He wants to give. But somehow, if our hands are closed, they're not open to receive all that God wants to give to us. It's as we give that our hands are open and we can receive what God wants to give to us. Verse 10, another example. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, that's God, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now, this is important. It's, it's not that we give money and God gives us more money, though sometimes that's how it works. It's that we give in all sorts of ways, including money, and God gives to us in all sorts of ways, including the harvest of our righteousness, just things that will last for all eternity, uh, which financial things won't. So we're made in God's image. He's the great giver. And we are made to give. I spent a year in Israel as a young man, and I was very struck between the difference between Galilee and the Dead Sea. 
Uh, I don't know how well you can picture your geography of Israel, but the River Jordan starts up north, up high. Jordan literally means the descender, and it comes down, not just south, but down lower, obviously. It flows into Galilee. It flows out of Galilee. It keeps flowing down. It flows into the Dead Sea, and that's where it stops. So I swam in both. Well, I swam in Galilee. It's cool and refreshing. You sort of float. It's a curiosity in the Dead Sea. It's oily. It's kind of unpleasant. It's quite entertaining. But you don't swim there to be refreshed. All the life has gone. Now, the same river flows into both, but it flows out of another one, and it just sits in them. We are made such that God's goodness flows into us and out through us to others. And when that happens, our lives are refreshing. When we just take all that God gives and it sits there, we become like the Dead Sea, a bit stagnant. We're made to give. Now, our world understands that at certain times. You think of children in need or comic relief. There's great joy in people giving. At Christmas time, we... Or birthdays, when you give to children, see the joy on their face. There's more joy in giving than they have in receiving. But most of the time, our world is just trying to get more and more and more. But Jesus said, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. We're going to leave it all behind. What matters is the person we've become. Have we become the person God's made us to be? Like him, generous, or, or the opposite. Uh, so the first reason we give is because God's the great giver and we're made in his image. Uh, the second re reason to give is because you cannot outgive God. Uh, and this, this truth shines through this passage. Uh, the sowing and reaping. We sow, but we reap far more than we sow. Uh, and this is where telling each other stories is so encouraging. So let me tell you a few. And those of you who are playing Bicker Bingo tonight can tick them off. Uh, I first began to clock this when I was seven. Uh, my dad was a country vicar. They had a gift day. I don't know what for. What for. Um, but we were encouraged to give. We used to get our pocket money in multiples of ten so we could work out what a tenth was very easily and we could put that in the collection. If you have children, give them pocket money. Give it in multiples of ten. It makes it easy for them to work out the tides if they learn that early it's not so much a shock when they get older it's a good thing to learn. well this gift day i remember i was i being moved to give to this gift day now i was saving up for a monopoly set i was seven going on eight and monopoly just seemed to be the best thing in the world and i wanted a monopoly set i was saving up in a white yogurt pot with a hole in the lid i could put money in and I'd, and, and a monopoly set cost one pound ten bob then that's one pound fifty I used to have um, pound notes in those days, and there was, I'd saved up a bit more than a pound. I can picture the green pound note and some coins. And something moved me to give all of that to the gift day. I don't know why. It could have been the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know what it was. A week later, my godmother wrote to me, and um, didn't know anything about this, but she sent me five pounds. And my parents made great spiritual capital out of this. You see, Jonathan, you cannot outgive God. You've given this. I got my Monopoly set and other stuff. And I began to learn that you cannot outgive God. Now, sometime after that, some wonderful person who was barely related to our family, my, my parents drove a clapped out old car that was really struggling. And someone gave them an amount of money such that we could give, buy a new car and go on holiday. And they shared this news with me and my sister. And my first reaction when my parents told me how much they'd given was, wow, 
what a lot she'll get back. <laughs> so I'd sort of half learnt this. I'd, now, it's not always in financial terms, and there are some preachers who always put it in financial terms, and that's crazy, because there are things far better than money. True riches are in relationship and joy and peace and so on, uh, this harvest of righteousness. But the principle is that you cannot outgive God. And I've had to relearn that each time. And whenever I preach on it, I always find God points out to me, well, you could always increase your giving, Jonathan, if you really believe this. And so there have been various stages down the years when that's happened. In my previous church, where I was vicar in Hinckley, the money had all gone. We needed, uh, I forget what we were doing, but you always need money to do ministry. So I was going to the church to give. Uh, Juliet and I sat down and worked out what we should give. We prayed about it. The number went up. It usually does when you pray about it. You know, if God puts a figure in your head, I think one of the lessons, just give it. I mean, you can argue the toss with him, but it usually goes up. Uh, anyway, we, we, we came up with this figure, and Juliet said, well, if we're going to give that, we're going to have to cut some things out of our budget. I said, like what? And she went through them. And then she said, we're going to cut out crisps. I think she'd always wanted to do that for my health, but the excuse was overgiving. So I told the church that, um, not what we were giving, but we were giving to the point where Juliet was cutting out crisps of our... And every time someone came to see me, they brought packets of crisps with them to the point where I had to say, please don't, it's not, not good for my health. Far more significantly, that month, uh, a friend who didn't know what was going on, uh, who worked for the sort of company that gave bonuses, that had a bonus, and decided to share it with us, far more than we'd given. Let's, we gave, it's given back. Uh, I remember coming to this church. We came here 22 years ago. It's been wonderful to be the vicar of this church. I think it's the best job in the Church of England. Most days, I think, there are one or two, I haven't, but uh, most, most days. Um, we had a time, oh, I don't know how long ago, 17, 18 years ago, where we had a real crisis. The roof was falling off the house next door. We found there were two wells down, down in the ground that needed capping off. There wasn't enough regular money to come in. There was some problem somewhere else. Uh, I went to the church and said, we need to give. And Juliet and I had to work this out, uh, what we did. Now, we live in this wonderful vicarage. That's one of the great perks of being a vicar, um, this amazing house. But upstairs, there are four bedrooms. There were seven of us, so it was a bit tight. And we had one shower room. And our children were becoming teenagers and discovering showers. And there was a cupboard up there which could be made into a shower room. And uh, we'd asked the diocese to do it, and they'd just said no. So we thought, right, we'll have to do this. And we'd set aside some money to do it. And the need of the church came up. So we talked and we prayed, and the inevitable happened. I thought, right, well, we'll have to give that then. So we, get, we gave that and said, Lord, you know about the shower room. So we gave that. Within a month, I happened to meet someone in the diocese who seemed to be the key person behind the scenes who decided what jobs they did in vicarages. So I had no idea of their existence. And invited him to come and have a look at ours. And he said, oh, of course we should do this. And we'll do this for you as well, and this for you. So again, it's just, they thought, we cannot outgive God. Though each time you give, you don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, many of you here, I see looking around, have been here when we redeveloped this building. So 10 years ago in 2012, did the first half, that end. And seven years ago in 2015, this end. Two projects, about 600,000 each time, 1.2 million altogether. And many of you were here giving sacrificially in so many stories of those days. Just chatting with someone I bumped into this afternoon about that, saying, yes, we were going to do our bathroom up, and we gave that money for the gift day and thought, oh, well, we'll just keep the old bathroom. And then, uh, for some reason, some money came down the family that was exactly enough to do the, the bathroom. It was just, it was, we had loads of stories like that. My favorite was of the couple who, um, who, uh, who had 
they'd got married, they'd both sold, they're trying to sell their houses, they got married, were to set up together. And they thought, well, we're doing quite well, we need to, we need to give a, a decent amount, what should we give? And they went into, they talked it through, couldn't come to any conclusion, decided, well, let's pray, go separate rooms about it. And one of them works it through very, 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 very rationally and comes up with a number. And the other one, much more artistic and prophetic, comes up with a number. And they've got them on post-its and they bring them down and say, after you, no, after you, no, after you. And they say they did it together and had exactly the same number down. And it was just this sense that God was in it and uh, lovely knowing how God had blessed them. Uh, in my own family, uh, one of my boys was learning to play guitar in the band and was saving up for a good guitar. He had a 150-pound guitar and he wanted a 450-pound guitar and he was saving up. And he was moved to give some money to the gift day. And that very night of the gift day, his godparents, they didn't know what had gone on. They just said, we're so pleased to see how your worship's coming on. We'd like to buy you a guitar. And they took him out to buy the 450-pound guitar. That it, we, I could go on and bore you all night with these stories. Those of you who are playing Bingham, no one's called House yet, that we've got the, the whole set. But the point is, I've learned that you cannot outgive God. God is, and he gives in so much better ways than finances. God is looking for us to trust him. Just let's bring in one verse from the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there won't be room enough to store it. Now, normally in the Bible, we're told not to put the Lord our God to the test. Apart from in this one area, with our finances, God says, test me. Give the full, God's talking about tithes, that's 10% and offerings. Test me, bring the full lot in and see if I won't bless you. Now, I've never done this, but I've always been tempted to bring to the PCC uh, a motion where we say, if someone tithes and it doesn't work out for them, we'll give it all back. Um, I know we don't need to do that, because if someone does tithe, God said he's going to bless them and it's going to work out. And we kind of have a hardship fund, we can give it all back. Um, but I'd love to say that, to, you know, give and give, and if it doesn't work out and you're in need, we'll help. But God's promise is much better than mine. Test me and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven. Pour out so much blessing that you won't be able to store it. it Maybe joy, it may be peace, Maybe relationship, it may be employment, it may be who knows what it may be. Uh, but God says, Test me in this and see. Now, some people ask me about tithing and say, Isn't that a bit legalistic to do 10%? And I think the answer is that tithing is biblical, but it's not Christian. Christian is about generosity, which I think means for the vast majority of people, at least tithing. Tithing is a bit like Remember when you learned to ride a bike in the old days, you had stabilizers. Um, and you learn you to ride the bike, and then the point comes where the stabilizers are taken off and you can ride a bike. Now they seem to ride bikes without pedals to learn. <laughs> it's a different sort of way. They're learning to get the balance a different way. But uh, when most of us learned to ride bikes, we had stabilizers. And then we get good enough, the stabilizers get taken off. I think tithing is a bit like stabilizers. It's a kind of way of learning to give until we've got the hang of generous and sacrificial and we're doing at least that and then we can take that off and we don't, we don't count it all up precisely because Christian giving in the New Testament is generous and sacrificial 
Uh, and God loves to give. We cannot outgive God. That's what this whole passage is about. So we give because God is the great giver, and we cannot outgive him. Uh, so three ways in this passage about how we give. So first of all, verse 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So the first way we give is thoughtfully. You think it through. No one's making you give. This, there is freedom in this. So we think it through. Well, if Jesus is my Lord, then everything about me belongs to him. So it's all his anyway, really. And he's as concerned, if I'm giving 10%, with what, how I spend the 90%. Um, or some of you have learned to go way beyond tithing. There was a, uh, a season in our life where Juliet and I tried to increase the percentage of our giving by one each year, 10 to 11 to 12 to 13. And sometimes when our income's gone down, as it did when our children grew up and we lost all our tax credits, um, our percentage went up, even though our, uh, our amount went down, uh, as it were. But we, we think this through. Jesus is my Lord. It all belongs to him look at the promises of God. We look at the vision of the church. So the, the vision of this church has been to see Leamington change one life at a time. We've seen God grow it. We needed to reorder the buildings. We could see what that was going to. Now it's a bit more intangible. We're being called to a wider mission to support other churches to help them get going. Uh, the giving we're giving is to really support the growth of the kingdom of God in other places as well as here. Uh, but we also have a hardship fund, and I'm really keen that people give into the hardship fund as well as the regular giving, so we have money to help people in need. It's been a wonderful privilege to give quite a lot to people in need, to a lot of people in need over the last few years because of the hardship fund. We're going to need that so much more over this next winter. So uh, some of you, God, will prompt to start giving regularly, some to give into the hardship fund. But you think it all through. You think about, well... What do I earn? What do I have? Think through the tax stuff. Um, if you sign the gift aid declaration, we can reclaim the tax. So for every £100 you give, we get £25 back. Marvellous. Thank you very much to the government. That's really helpful. So uh, for this church, which operates on about 600000 a year, we're getting, I think, about 100000 back in tax a year. from the That's massively helpful. Um, we now have a thing called the Parish Giving Scheme. There's details on the welcome desk at the back. If you haven't signed up for that, please do. Uh, it used to be that we had folks who worked a huge, a huge amount of work going through all the gift aids to reclaim the tax. The Parish Giving Scheme just does it automatically for us, and it's enormous help to our, to our, our finance team. Um, and if you earn regularly, the idea is that they take money out on the first of the month, uh, the church gets it on the 10th, and we have the tax back by the end of the month, the whole way through. It's enormously helpful. If you can give by that, please do. If that doesn't work for you, you can still give by standing order, however that wo works. Uh, if you pay tax, we can claim it back. If you're a higher-rate taxpayer, uh, you claim back the extra tax, and you can claim that back over several years. Every time I say this, there, I'm not a higher-rate taxpayer, so it doesn't apply to me, but I understand Every time I say this, someone says, oh, I didn't know that. And they go and ask Andrew Rolls, our old treasurer, uh, or Zach, our new one, how it works. And some people have claimed about five or six years' worth of extra tax and said, well, that was a sermon worth listening to. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so if that's you, um, there's extra you can claim back, and then you can give even more. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it. 
Um, think, think, you, th you do it thoughtfully. Think things through. And again, if you don't have enough, we have a hardship fund we'd love to give you. So we do it thoughtfully. Secondly, generously. Verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So the general theme of generosity runs through this. Let's give generously. Can I give a bit more? Um, you can go the rational approach. You can go the prophetic approach. Lord, please put a number in my head. <laughs> you can talk it through. It doesn't really matter. The point is you're giving proportionately and generously and sacrificially. And for all of us, there comes a point where we move from just giving a bit, the odd fiver on the plate, to giving generously and sacrificially. That jump is a significant jump. There'll be some of you tonight God's calling to make that jump. Um, for others, uh, he'll let, he'll, you'll, you'll know what's right for you. Uh, now, God sees the hearts. Jesus held up the widow with those two mites who gave a tiny amount of money, but it was everything she had. And in that sense, by giving everything, she gave more than anybody else. She gave as much as anybody can give. So it's all proportional. Uh, it can be out of your regular giving, but you may well have legacies come down, the family, in which case you might want to do a one-off thing. We read in Acts of people selling houses or fields or passing money on. Um, if you've never made your will yet, please do your will. It's a blessing to those close to you if you've done that. Uh, but why not tithe your will to them? So Juliet and I are about to redo our wills. It'll be much the same thing. If I die first, it all goes to her. If she dies first, it all goes to me. But when we both go, 10% goes to church kingdom things before it goes on down to our kids. Um, that's in there, and we just need to rejig that. But if you never thought about doing that, that would be a good thing to do. So we give thoughtfully, we give generously, and lastly, we give cheerfully, verse 7. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, those playing vicar bingo know I'm going to do this one. Uh, the Greek word for cheerful is hilarion. So we give hilariously, great joy. We give with great joy, and there is more joy in giving than receiving. Uh, now, if you don't want to give, don't give. It does not say God loves a miserable giver. If you think you're better off keeping it for yourself, keep it for yourself, and good luck to you. Uh, the truth is that we cannot outgive God. <laughs> so I want to encourage you to, to give. Um, we're emerging from COVID as a church. We praise God that we've been able to keep our heads above the water financially. But it is a little hairy looking forward. And we do need people. We need every, if you haven't given yet, everybody's counts. Um, you may think, what's my little bit? What difference that's going to make? But it's a bit like snowflakes. If you take a whole lot of them together, it can stop the traffic. And we need everybody's into giving. Um, I think it's probably about time I stopped and we prayed. So let me just come back to which sort of idiot do you want to be? Do you want to be this sort of idiot who um, doesn't take God's promises seriously but is very careful with your budgeting and make sure you can pay your bills but misses out on the whole adventure of faith? Or do you want to be this sort of idiot that takes God's promises and God says, and we cannot outgive God, and starts having stories and the sense that God's with you in life, which is just far more wonderful? Um, that's where we're going. I think I'm going to stop talking. Let's have the band back and we'll pray and we'll sing. So uh, would you stand and we'll just pray together and have a minute or two of quiet.